I think the EVM burns. I think every developer is sick of the EVM. There's literally a major hacker attack every year, every month. It's the same reentry bug over and over and over again. It's like getting punched by the same kid over and over again, and you're not doing anything about it. So hopefully in the next two or three years, we see more adoption of the blue chip DeFi protocols actually on move some other networks. Just anything that has the EVM. All right, everyone. So on Empire, you obviously know that we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto. And that is why we are super excited to share that we are hosting the Digital Asset Summit. We've hosted this since 2019. It's coming up in London, March 18th to 20th. Don't miss your chance to get ahead of the curve. You can get 20% off with code EMPIRE20. We'll see you in London. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we have a fascinating one of our first live stream pods here. We're joined by Avery, Rushi, and Nick from Aptos Movement and Celestia. And I think if, you, if you've been still in crypto, haven't pivoted to AI, or haven't left, I think you've heard the word modular before by now. Hope you have. And so this is going to be a fascinating discussion because there's a lot of intersection happening between these ecosystems. Um, and so welcome, everyone. Um, why don't we get started with quick intros? Hi, folks. I'm Avery Chang. Uh, I was at uh, Meta for 10 years before uh, starting up, co-founding Optus Labs with Moshe. And before that, I have a PhD in performance computing. Uh, I'm the CTO, currently at Optus Labs. Great to meet you all. I'm Rushi, co-founder of Movement Labs, background is engineering, system-based and database security at United Health Group, and then got into early theory engineering and Aptos engineering. And here are my movement. I'm Nick. I'm the COO at Celestia Labs, and we're building the first modular data availability layer. And essentially, you can think of Celestia as this new type of layer one that is built specifically to scale L2s and rollups and, and enable more flexibility for developers. Well, welcome, everyone. Again, um, I'm curious uh, if any one of you guys can just broadly, simplistically kind of explain what modular blockchains do, what they uniquely enable, kind of what the problem is that you guys are solving. Yeah, I, I can take that. Um, so modular blockchains are, you know, contrasted with monolithic blockchains and most uh, existing sort of L1s since the birth of, of blockchains with Bitcoin and Ethereum have been designed in a monolithic uh, sort of architecture where essentially the same set of nodes do all the tasks that a blockchain needs to do to uh, provide the infrastructure to run applications. And so those tasks are consensus, um, data availability and, and execution. And when you combine all those things into one monolithic stack, it kind of limits, it kind of imposes some limitations on scalability as well as flexibility. So the modular blockchain thesis is that you can actually decompose these functions into separate protocols that can then be stacked on top of each other and recombined. And when you do that, you can get better scalability, you can get better flexibility because each one of those layers can be, you know, specialized to perform that function really, really effectively. And so, you know, there's different layers of the stack, you know, Celestia being sort of like a consensus and data availability layer, but then you have things like movement or building the execution layers that run on top of things like Celestia. Yeah, excellent. So Rushi, maybe uh, that's a good segue to talk about like what movement actually is um, and how you're working with like Aptos and uh, Celestia. Yeah, so movement is building the first Ethereum layer two powered by the move merge machine. It leverages Celestia for data availability. Um, I think in the past, we've been using EVM past few years, and most developers and ecosystems can be like, this is horrible. Um, I'm getting hacked for $4 billion every year. Um, and now what we're seeing with the modular thesis and what modularity means to me is the ability to truly build whatever. Choose whatever execution layer you want to use, 
choose whatever DA you want to use. Um, it's use case specific blockchains. So whether you're building a blockchain for gaming and you need parallelized throughput, uh, low gas fees, or you're building a DeFi specific one and you need smart contract security, so a hyper swap attack doesn't happen again, the curve attack doesn't happen again. Um, and I think we're focused more on smart contract security, scalability, coming to Ethereum with low gas fees powered by Celestia. Got it. And and I guess you're using the move language, which obviously you guys at Aptos um, have taken what was, I guess, the initial team of Facebook, then spun out, and then you you guys took that. And can you just explain the novelty of Aptos and, and movement as a programming language relative to Solidity? Because um, you know, for context, I would say the lion's share of developers still are working with Solidity and exist in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, but you guys obviously came out and uh, with Move, and um, so, anyways, if you could explain that. But yeah, thanks for thanks for that segue. Um, back in 2018, when when Meta started looking at what it would mean to build out a scalable payments network that could support uh, for for you know billions of people around the world, we had to kind of you know we were definitely inspired by what Ethereum had done, what others had done in the space. Um, in terms of what was possible, but we realized that technology would not scale to the use cases that we wanted to design for. And so that meant a new blockchain architecture, which was DM, a, a new programming language, which was Move. And the idea behind Move was, how do we kind of get from ideation to production as clean and safely as possible? And being very inspired by Rust around pushing a lot of the bugs from the runtime into compile time. Earlier on was the programming stack. And then thinking about what are the primitives necessary to make sure money movement is as safe as possible. So it can't be dropped on the floor, can't be actually minted out of thin air. All those things uh, is built in you know, ways that programmers can't hurt themselves. So just a safer way to get smart contract language development into the hands of programmers. Now, I think it's worth noting that many, very few smart contracts are worth mm-hmm. at time. We're writing for very specific use cases. So things like travel rule, um, governance were some of the earlier primitives that we worked on it. Uh, now, fast forward a little bit, you know, at Aptos, uh, we wanted to definitely take this forward uh, to a massive degree. And so a whole bunch of the team has, has come with us to make that happen. And has taken on, and Aptos has taken on a massive uh, pivot kind of from its original vision in terms of how do we take on, especially parallelism from, from uh, programmers uh, to, to extract it automatically. So uh, with block STM technology, I think, which is being used by many other you know, uh, protocols in the space and being inspired by that, we kind of call that implicit parallelism. So when a program starts to design their contract, whenever there's parallelism possible, it'll be extracted automatically from, from the program without having to impose any necessary boundaries on them. Also, when you think about programs, they naturally touch different pieces of, of shared data and being allowed that shared data to be kind of in the same program as opposed to being split across programs to extract parallelism, which is what happens with another, a lot of other program par- paradigms, uh, produces a lot of challenges. And so I think you know, that's some of the core things that we have really been taking forward in the language. Also, formal specification and verification is really important to us. So the move prover code has been an amazing asset uh, for making sure programs are safe uh, running in the, in, the, in the move space. Um, the entire framework at Aptos is actually uh, formally verified, which is really, really incredible uh, as, a, as a particular tool. And so, you know, there are other move variants out there, just again, being very transparent. Uh, there's the original kind of DM move that was there. There's the SWE move. Uh, and I think Aptos is kind of the most fully featured superset of these these different moves out there and the most supported uh, and the easiest for integration into different platforms. And I think that's kind of why we're excited about movement 
being one of the many different kinds of providers that are taking move into different ecosystems going forward into the future. Yeah. And so maybe if you can, Rushi or Avery, if you want to take this, but unpack like from a developer experience, um, how how is it, um, if, if you're trying to convince someone that perhaps is coming new to crypto and wants to build an application, how would you frame it to them? It's here's why you should build on, on move. Uh, here's why you should uh, utilize movement. Um, and, and how would you kind of frame it and pitch it to them? Because the natural perhaps inclination still may be, I want to build where where the users are and the liquidity is today, which in my opinion is sort of like we're all beta testers and it's not really going to, like we need to think about at scale, like where are most users going to exist and build towards that. But that's just my bias. So if you guys could just comment on that. I think an analogy I use is move is to Rust as React is to JavaScript in that it's a very specialized version of programming. Rust has been out for years. It's a standard now in multiple industries. I believe Microsoft is now using it for AI. Biotech is huge. It's clear that Rust is like a very hot programming language that's very powerful. Um, and what Avery and a few other great guys really did and girls um, is made move the programming, like Rust made move the blockchain programming language powered by Rust-based provers, Rust-based mechanisms. Um, and the way we kind of approach it is like Avery and AppGuys are a phenomenal job at innovating the move language, some of the best engineering work I've ever witnessed. We're approaching it as like a very web three focused angle. We acknowledge that in the short to midterm, Solidity is still going to have a mind share. It's going to be difficult to get EVM adoption away, um, especially when liquidity lives on the EVM, all the developers on Solidity. In a bear market, if you're going to developer and say, hey, learn this new language, it's probably going to be a very tough battle to win. Um, which is why we kind of explore this idea of a transponder, which allows any EVM code to launch, things Solidity code, Curve contracts, Aave contracts, Uniswap contracts, can seamlessly deploy on our SDK. It'll transpile down a move bytecode and launch the VM itself. So we kind of hedge our bets in the short term where we're saying, okay, we believe in move as thesis. We believe the future of programming is move. But in the short term, we acknowledge that slowly as a lion's share of developers. So we allow seamless deployments to the on RPC, MetaMask compatibility, hard hat compatibility, that all comes out of the box. And any slowly code can now run the great Aptos DM VM um, or move VM um, and live on Ethereum. So you get the liquidity of Ethereum, you get the benefits of EVM tooling and development um, while still harnessing the benefits of Aptos and Move. So this is really, um, this bridge is, so if you're, a, these are, if you're a project that has already built an Aptos or, or perhaps a SUI, some other, you allow it just to seamlessly like deploy and run an EVM instance on movement and like attract all the users and the liquidity that may exist. Is the end goal to ultimately just like bring it all back um, to something like Aptos, where once people realize that it's just better, I'm curious how you think about, like, because the analogy, once you see it, like, you don't unsee it. And so once you start interacting, like, in a move base, like, for the user, it's like, well, you don't have a, a reentrancy attack. And so DeFi becomes a safer environment. And so how do you think about, like, that user flow, uh, you know, perhaps in the next, you know, one, three, five years of, the state of Aptos movement relative to Ethereum and the growth of like liquidity users. Um, I, I can take this one. I mean, I think the goal would be that as it's a technology argument, right? I, you brought up a lot of advantages of what EVM has today, definitely users, uh, developers. But as what we've seen and observed from people building on on with Aptos is that people who start running this code just love it. They don't want to go back. Um, and we've seen 
flagship projects, uh, you know, from the EVM world come over to Aptos uh, using Move and being really, really excited about that, whether it's SushiSwap or it's a live, a live peer and many others actually coming in, in that, and, you know, haven't announced yet, but are be moving over, no pun intended, uh, in the coming months. And, um, you know, as they, as people start to see, like, again, the, the idea from ideation to production as safely as possible, and these reentry attacks are not possible. You have the additional, like, um, safeness of formal verification in the place. And also you have this very rich way to get parallelism kind of both optimistically as well as pessimistically coming in the future. And then seeing the way that we evolve the, the, the language, the V compiler and the VM, we have a very long roadmap of like taking it to the next level. I think that is going to be the reason why people start to use these different networks that are move compatible. So whether it's going to be movement uh, chains or, you know, whether it's having type of Celestia, we want move to be the, the interface into how all the smart country proving, you know, happens in the future. Mm -hmm. Nick, I want to go to you and Rushi as well, commenting on how important was it to like this data availability, um, like unbundling for you guys, where you can now use Celestia from a cost perspective, like what does it mean to be able to utilize Celestia versus do DA and consensus in-house? And I'm curious if you could put a finer point on, on the benefits um, of, of using something like Celestia. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll start off, and then I'd love for Rushi to, to jump in too. Um, so there's a lot of advantages to building on a modular stack and a modular foundation like like Celestia. So one of the key things, right, if we go back to modularity, is decoupling execution from consensus and data availability. So what that means is, like, you know, when you launch a normal monolithic chain, it comes with the execution environment already defined in it. So you as a developer, when you're building on that L1, are stuck with that execution environment. So it could be EVM, it could be Solana VM, or it could be Move, right? And um, kind of like Celestia's thesis or the modular thesis, and it's captured in, in the phrase that Rushi uh, said earlier, is, is build whatever, which is that uh, we want to remove constraints from, from developers and, and enable people to, to choose whatever things best suit their use case, right? And, and we firmly believe that there's, there is no one you know, stack to rule them all. Like this, like mon monolithic architectures tend to breed sort of maximalism, right? Because you have to say that like, well, you have to justify that you're the best, you're better than everyone else, right? And in, in the modular world, it's like, well, there isn't actually a best, you know, stack. And instead it's like, well, what are you trying to build? And then from there, move, work backwards and say like, okay, well, in that case, you know, EVM might be the best for you, or maybe it's Cosmos SDK, or maybe it's Move. And so, First and foremost, I think that's one of the benefits of, of building on something like, like Celestia is that it, it removes any like lock-in, I guess, into our particular ecosystem or stack. Um, and so <clears throat> one of the things that we're really excited about is supporting all these different execution environments. And, and, we're, and, we're, and we like all of them. It's like a pluralistic view, right? So we, recently there's also Eclipse is launching a Solana virtual machine roll-up on top of Celestia. Um, and now with movement, like it's another offering that, that can kind of be be built on Celestia. And like long-term, the way we see things playing out is that it's, it will be as easy for developers to deploy a new execution layer, a new blockchain, as it is right now to deploy a smart contract. So like in the long-term, um, it will be this uh, really easy out-of-the-box experience to just like spin up a move VM chain and um, be off to the races building whatever applications you want. And that's, that's like the future that we want to get to. Um, but Rushi, why don't you add your perspective? 
Yeah, I think Avery touched on this earlier, but one of the benefits of Move is a pale runtime in that you have local fee markets. Um, I've been using Arbitrum for a while now, and every time the GMX goes crazy, the gas fees go through the roof. Um, so I think one of the benefits of next-gen VMs, whether it's Slata VM, Move VM, um, Fuel guys are doing a great job with Sway, um, is really allowing gas fees to be controlled and minimized. Um, so when we look at architecturally um, on Ethereum, sure, Ethereum is great um, settlement layer, you have a lot of liquidity, um, it's great for mindshare, uh, and just generally good for DeFi. But if your gas fees are going to be through the roof, it creates a really poor user experience. So when we're looking at different DA layers and studying the modularity thesis, what struck out to me is, look, if I'm going to be bringing this next-gen VM to Ethereum, it can't use um, Ethereum's main DA as its DA layer until pro-ordaining sharding, which is years out. Um, it needs a different solution. So that's why the Celestia research, the Celestia um, integration made a lot of sense because now we can essentially bring an Ethereum scaling solution, bring a better next-gen VM to Ethereum's element and not have to worry about DA being a bottleneck. Instead, it can be a fraction of the cost, basically mimic um, some of the cheapest, if not the cheapest roll on Ethereum. So that enables a lot of use cases for DeFi where you can kind of abstract away uh, any gas mm -hmm. spikes, but also on the consumer gaming angle, right? We work with a lot of gaming clients that can't afford $10 for a transaction where you're minting millions of NFTs, killing a thousand zombies. Um, that would probably run the player out of all their money, especially if it's a like 4 year old. Um, so having alternative DA layers like Celestia make a lot of sense to us. Yeah. Um, for me, the, some of the, like the big aha moment, um, and I think a lot of the market is kind of coming, there's realization is, um, like, like there are incredible benefits to this next gen kind of movement, like, like building an Aptos, um, like parallel ex execution and like dynamic fee markets, like just make a lot of sense when you start thinking about all the different use cases, like, um, that are now uniquely powered by that. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I want to get into discussion around modular versus integrated slash monolithic, particularly in the context of like, what do you think is the benefit to monolithic blockchains today? Like, because one could argue, well, there's all the incredible benefit with um, modular and modularity makes a lot of sense. Like the software, like, like, you know, free bubble crash 99, and then software as a service, like I, I kind of liken it to that. Like there's this huge unbundling and, and the, in technology movements, the unbundling like creates a lot of new possibilities. But I think we're seeing that with blockchains, execution environments. And so I'm curious, like how you guys think about that debate of modular versus monolithic. And, and if there's merits to still looking at a monolithic integrated blockchain saying, yeah, I want to build there versus the modular approach. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to take this one. Um, you know, first of all, definitely respect the work that, you know, those in the modular space like Nick are doing. I think it's an interesting design exploration. You know, for me, uh, you know, a couple of things like, you know, I think at two examples I'll pick on. One is, I think the Linux kernel is a great example of a monolithic kernel where Linux Torvald had a very strong opinion that that monolithic kernel would actually allow them to move faster and be more performant. And I think it's done extremely well in terms of, uh, you know, achieving those goals. And being deployed to you know pretty much you know all major clusters and cloud centers to, today uh, compared to uh, modular modular kernels um, or micro kernels. And uh, I think another example was you know even from our early days within within Meta, we started to build out the Libra blockchain. You know we actually tried to build it as a microservices architecture to some degree, uh, all connected through a gRPC. And we quickly realized that like you know, this wasn't a good approach due to like it was super inefficient. Um, you know, in theory, these things all sound great. Like I can deploy this component here, this component here, 
you know, and uh, we ended up rewriting the whole thing as, as instead as, a, you know, just more like internally APIs and the whole system got much more efficient, much faster to develop. I think it comes down to like, you know, a thesis around like, do you, if you believe strongly, you know, the, you have a strong, like the right path forward, you have the right interfaces, like the language is the way that it should be, the way that the system interfaces with it is, is kind of, you know, built really well for it. Or if you feel like there's a lot of like use cases that are not going to be covered by these particular components, then sure, uh, adding all the optionality makes sense. And it doesn't mean you can't be more modular in the future when it comes to APIs and interfaces. You can always add those in as you kind of discover the right points for those. But today, we haven't had any concerns where people are like, well, you know, we love Move for this, but we really wish we had EVM for this. Or we love, you know, the way the blockchain worked today, but we wish the consensus protocol was slightly different. Um, so far, we have, you know, every use case that we've seen being thrown out to us has worked really, really well. And so there's just no, no need to, to kind of explore, you know, the alternatives right at this second that could change your course in the future. And the other thing I would just kind of point, put a point on modularity is Aptos is a modular stack. We're kind of designed as several phases. We have data dissemination, we have ordering, we have parallel execution, parallel rights, and then kind of uh, proof verification after that. And so like you have the modularity as a design choice and we can actually take a lot of benefits from like upgrading individual components of that and testing individual components. But, you know, one of the downsides, you know, if you start to also get too, too modular uh, in certain services, for example, that testing becomes very complex. Like suppose you want to test interaction of you know, chain A with chain B and chain A is changing this thing and chain B is changing that thing. You know, if you want to test holistically, it gets very challenging. Like the number of combinations explodes exponentially. And that's something we just, we don't, again, that we don't think that right now we haven't seen use cases for that. Uh, our developers are, are really happy with the, what we offer them. And, uh, you know, building that full stack is, is just simpler and performing for us and optimizing for it currently. Yeah. We don't have someone uh, from Solana here, but perhaps uh, I, I may take that. Um, I'll try to, I'll attempt to do that. But the, the argument would be, look, Solana just makes a very clear um, trade-off that they're just going to accept higher hardware costs and requirements um, and try to optimize the bandwidth. Like, because when I think of like blockchains, like you have the hardware costs, you have bandwidth and storage. And those are, in my mind, the three biggest categories that Ethereum guys say, well, our hardware costs are not 3,000, they're 200 and anyone can run a node and that's great when you actually look at the data they're actually the same when you look at the nakamoto co coefficients solana actually has way higher than solana so in practice like these things also manifest themselves in different ways but someone in my solana would say well why not just come and build in solana like why do i have to go to those or why do i have to use like a modular design when you know you know, like you still need to run, like you still depend on full nodes and running a full node has a real meaningful cost. And if you just accept that, then we can just focus on solving like hardware costs can come down over time or solving a bandwidth or optimizing these things. But I'm just kind of curious, like taking the camp of you could build on Solana, like what would you say to a builder? There's a lot of excitement, of course, now in Solana for a variety of reasons, but what is that trade-off between Aptos or Movement? I happen to answer that question about Solana. I mean, I think, you know, Solana is definitely one of the first in the space around high-performance uh, blockchains. You know, obviously we are, we're in the same field. We've taken different design trade-offs. We think our design is it's much more scalable from a two-person perspective. And there's different goals around latency, right? So I think they talk a lot about the block times, but, you know, finality time is actually quite different than block time. Uh, and so 
you know, finality time in Aptos is, is generally about a second or so. And that's kind of where uh, all validators agree on, on the, uh, the execution of the transaction from a Byzantine fault tolerant perspective, two thirds. Uh, so I think from a throughput, you know, and, and a latency perspective, you know, you, you can try Laptus, you can see the numbers we put out. We put out verifiable numbers, even in a benchmark in March for anyone to rerun the same experiment we ran and get the same numbers of, I think our experiment showed about 20,000 transactions per second in uh, a mainnet like setup, end-to-end -end, uh, results for that. And we also have new numbers that'll be coming out fairly soon that'll even blow those numbers away. Uh, and so again, our goal is to keep pushing on the, on the, on the spectrum of parallelism, uh, latency and other aspects. Yes. So if we're trying, we're not trying to support all the use cases out there. It's really about high throughput, low latency, highly safe and available use cases and kind of enterprise grade technology that you can to build on billions of people. Yeah. Nick or Rushi, I'm curious when, when you think about the projects that have become interested in working with, um, Celestia and, and also using Move as a programming language, what kind of use cases and projects um, have you get, been getting the most amount of interest from? Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot to talk about in the monolithic versus modular debate, which maybe we can revisit. But in terms of uh, adoption... We keep going. <laughs> you know, we, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't yeah. want to make the transition. I, I think it's super, it's probably the most important discussion that we can have like in crypto today, realistically. But... Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, okay, so first of all, it's it's clear, I think, from, from everyone that we're entering into a, like a multi-chain world, right? Like, even if uh, each of those chains is, is monolithic, we're entering a world where there's going to be lots and lots of different experimentation of execution environments and a lot of different chains kind of living side by side with their own ecosystems. And I think when you, like, start to play that out further, the modular approach makes more and more sense in the sense that you can uh, sort of still share security by having this common consensus and data availability layer while still experimenting with all these different chains and execution environments. And like all the optimizations that are happening in the move world or the Solana virtual machine world that speed things up and make them faster, et cetera, like are absolutely really crucial, but they, they're, they're only really scaling like the uh, execution aspect and not so much specifically the other major bottleneck to scaling blockchains, which is data availability. And I think, and so I think that's, that's one of the, the, the key differences. And like, um, I would say another thing that's, that's really important, at least in the modular space that I think it doesn't kind of gets lost in this debate is, is the emphasis on verifiability too, right? So like increasing the throughput of your chain simply by requiring higher bandwidth and higher, um, like, execution, like sort of like CPU or, or whatever, like computational resources in the node is not really scaling the blockchain because you're just, you're increasing the cost to run a node and making it less and less accessible for the average person. So the only solutions that I think actually scale blockchains is a combination of data availability sampling and rollups. And what they allow you to do is they allow someone to verify a chain very efficiently with low resources. So even as the amount of data in the block grows, you don't have to do more work to verify the chain. Even as the number of transactions that are processed grows, you don't have to do more work to verify that execution. And so what that means is we can preserve the core value proposition of blockchains, which is end users can verify the chain 
and audit it and, and uphold the rules of the chain and not have to delegate trust to validators or other people running full nodes on their behalf. And so I think that's a really core thing that like, and I think that, that we, need, we need to like keep that very central because it's, it's the core value proposition of, of blockchains. And I think the modular stack kind of stands for that. Obviously, a monolithic chain can implement data availability sampling and can implement these proof systems that, that are like rollups. Um, but then when you enter in that world, it kind of, it modularity makes more and more sense because data availability makes sense to pool pool resources because you get all these benefits of scale and rollups naturally lend themselves to these like just oh spin up your own chain so like uh, to me all roll all roads kind of lead to to modularity one way or another can you go a little bit deeper into the specialization and like by specialization you have all these advantages like what what is uniquely enabled when you kind of outsource it to celestia when you outsource da and consensus to celestia like how does this actually like scale and yeah, so so Celestia is the first L1 that was designed for people to just only run L2s. And so you could, for example, run a rollup on Solana or Ethereum or all these things, but it ends up being very hacky because those L1s were never actually designed specifically for that use case, right? So like even the way the rollups run on Ethereum today is by using call data, which is, I don't think it was like, ever planned that like, oh, people are going to want to run these rollups and then therefore we'll de design this call data interface as a way that, like, that's optimal for that. Versus Celestia was like designed from the ground up for this use case. So there's, there's a bunch of things. First is that we scale specifically data availability via data availability sampling, which means that we can scale the block size with the number of sampling nodes in the network. And so no other blockchain has this property where you can increase the throughput without increasing the node requirements. It's just, you just need more people participating. And I think that's, that's a huge unlock. And that enables us, for example, to have these extremely low fees for, for L2s and why you would launch, for example, movement is launching using Celestia rather than Ethereum DA, for example. Um, uh, in addition to that, there are hey, things just like- Just to put it in perspective, that's a order of magnitude save? Uh, probably multiple orders of magnitude. More, multiple think, compared to ETH DA, yeah. But like even compared uh, think, to a nor like if you're a normal L2 launching on the OP stack, whatever, and you're not using Celestia. And if you use Celestia, like that cost save translates into one, two, like one or a couple orders of magnitude. I would I think we're we're still working on exact numbers and we'll have that more concretely when some of the first rollups launch on Celestia, but I think it'll be multiple orders of magnitude. And so because the the, the main cost driver for rollups especially optimistic rollups, is not the settlement cost, but the DA costs. And so when you can offload the DA cost to Celestia, it can it dramatically reduces the, the end user costs. But anyway, just back on the specialization point, some other things that Celestia were designed for is like the um, it, it's overhead minimized, meaning that so when you're running a rollup on top of, let's say, Ethereum or any other L1, you have to verify what's actually happening on the L1 too. So you kind of have to, you have to run like a full node of that L1. And if there's a lot of execution and state and, and things to track on that L1, then that adds overhead to every single rollup that's running on top. So Celestia is designed in a way where it has basically no execution, has a minimal, minimal amount of execution and minimal, minimal amount of state. And so like verifying Celestia is as light as possible. So all the rollups that are built on top don't get 
don't inherit all this like baggage and overhead that you would, for example, if you're running on, on Ethereum or other like monolithic L1s. Um, so, and then also like there's things about this design specifically to post data uh, to it. So like the, the interface for posting data is very clean and the way you pay for that. Uh, is all like optimized for that use case. And, and that's just something that uh, a monolithic L1 can't do or, or could, but it has to like completely start from scratch. Yeah. All right, everyone. So we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto on Empire. Santi and I are both headed out to London March 18th to 20th for Blockworks's eighth ever Digital Asset Summit, DAS. This is an institutional buttoned up conference that we've hosted since 2019. I like to joke that it is probably the last remaining kind of suit and tie event in crypto. People are still wearing suit and tie. It's pretty funny, but you'll actually hear from a lot of the largest institutions in the world coming from Standard Charter, FIS, JP Morgan, Framework folks coming out, Wintermute, Van Eck, Goldman Sachs. There are a couple big themes of this conference. One, Bitcoin catalysts, the halving and the spot ETF. Two, a view from the buy side. Three, RWA's tokenization and stable coins. Four, global regulatory frameworks, five, institutional infrastructure, including banking and payments, and six, the macro case for crypto. If you have anything to do with the institutional side of crypto, you have to be there. Santi and I got your back. We hooked you up with a 20% off code. It is Empire 20. There is a little competition running internally at Blockworks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So help Santi and I out, register with our code, and you get 20% off. That is Empire 20. Can we comment on uh, like around this like throughput and, you know, I'm not a TPS maximalist, but like if we just compare TPS as a figure of like all these different use cases that can be enabled, right? If you're going to Visa, well, they care about TPS, you know, I guess, and of course, other components, but one could argue like, and I'm referencing some figures, but like Solana, for instance, with Firedancer has, I would say like probably the highest TPS. Um, and then you go down from there. Um, like with Celestia, like what are the improvements? I guess I'm curious, like movement, like where, where does Aptos stand in term in that spectrum relative to Ethereum, relative to Solana? And where does like a movement VM with Celestia stand in that spectrum? And I'm not saying TPS is the most important thing, but I, I, I do think it, it it's important to just like call it out, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think by the way, with TPS is a metric that has to go away at some point. I just want to be very clear. Like it's a really poor way to like, that's Avery's fine way of saying it. it was a very stupid question, but anyway. No, 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 no. I, I, I think, by the way, it's a very fair question. Everyone asks this all the time. What is the transaction throughput of your system? The issue with TPS is that it, it really depends on the transaction types that are being issued, right? And, um, you know, that's why databases have TBC benchmarks. So you can actually test out a suite of different types of operations and understand, for this type of workload, this is the performance you're going to get. For this type of workload, this is the performance you're going to get. And in our world, unfortunately, there just isn't standards out there. You know, we've done our best to try to put out some standards. Again, we put out repeatable benchmarks. We'd love others to do the same in this space. So, you know, we have a medium post that describes like, here's our exact setup for how we ran our experiment. Here's the exact types of transactions we've run. We have coming again very, very soon, an improvement upon that where we'll describe different types of workloads that we think are important uh, for different kind of crypto use cases. And we'd love others to go ahead and participate and share, you know, what they think is important and also ideally adopt some of those benchmarks that we put out there so we can have an apples to apples to apples comparison instead of apples to oranges to bananas to pears to whatever, you know, jackfruit, uh, you know, thing, thing that's out there. And so, you know, I think, you know, Fire Dancer, you know, is, is probably an interesting 
product. It is something though that is kind of still designed within the current Solana parameters. It's just a faster implementation. And so, you know, today, I don't know if we've actually seen any verifiable numbers from what Solana can do in an actually controlled mainnet type environment. And so I, I think, you know, these are not apples apples numbers that we compare. And the only number that we know of, like, you know, that kind of showed the benchmarks from the space are the ones that we put out there. So again, as of now, we think that we've shown the fastest numbers in transaction throughput. They are verifiable. They're repeatable. You can run them on the same TCP hardware. You'll actually get better numbers today. We haven't shared those yet. We will share those in the coming weeks. Um, but you'll get, you know, the same kind of results that we have at this particular time. And I think they're the only ones that are verified. For... I guess uh, the better way to reframe the question for, for all of you guys is like, when you think about scalability, like what is exciting now is that there are many different use cases that have been tried in the past, didn't work. We're in a different environment now because, you know, with Celestia, we're in a different environment because of Aptos and then with the movement um, VM. And so I am curious um, when you think about like scalability is something that to your point, Avery, is heavily discussed. It can mean a, a whole variety of things. Um, it may be the most important thing for certain, like, but um, it just depends on the use case. And, and again, there's trade-offs and whatnot. So it's a very nuanced discussion and I don't think we have enough time to do it. But um, I do think the more exciting thing, maybe transitioning a bit into the discussion is like, uh, Rushi, like as you guys have set out to, to do this kind of connectivity between Ethereum and, and, you know, Aptos. And I'm curious, like, what type of use cases do you envision? What type of projects um, do you envision building um, and utilizing kind of this um, bridge, for lack of a better term, or just environment that kind of gets the best of both worlds? I think once what gets lost in, like, the infrastructure discussion and, like, the whole module versus model discussion is, like, what do the builders actually think, right? Um, so me and my co-founder were just DAP builders. I was a DEX builder Aptos. My co-founder built the first yield to aggregate app dust. Um, so we're really looking at it from like, how can we build better financial products for our customers? Um, it didn't really matter to us what the TPS was because if we got five TPS, we were throwing a party. Um, it didn't really matter much on like what latency was at that point because we were just trying to figure out like, how do we get 10 users on our app? I think when, what kind of led us to the module thesis is that we could permissionlessly innovate, if that makes sense. Um, for example, when we were building Yield Aggregator, there's only three assets that we had at the time on Testnet. It was like the APT native token and like two live native tokens. And that was on Testnet. So when we we're trying to get customers to use our app, it was like, do you guys really want to play around with three tokens that like not that many people know about? Or do you want to use native ETH on your protocol? Do you want to use BDCB, um, which is powered by the snowmaking sensors that we leverage? Do you want to use EVM assets, which are usually more speculative upon? So we're taking like a DeFi app to mean that um, think about DUIDX, perps, lending. It's usually the EVM assets that are usually expected upon that drive demand to your protocol. So that was the bottleneck that we face as builders in the space, which is often forgotten in these discussions. And I really haven't seen it come up. Like cool latency is cool. Cool, like the fees are like cool. But most of that's in theory. What we're looking at infrastructure today is I want to build a DEX in the next six months. If I'm going to monolithic chains right now, especially ones that are starting up on the come up, usually these assets aren't speculated upon heavily and it takes time for development to occur. It takes time for stable coins to come. It takes time for bridging to happen. Um, whereas when we went to a modular chain on top of Ethereum with Celestia, we built a hyperlink bridge in a month, right? So now we have full connectivity with the rest of the modular ecosystem with other EVM chains and we have to wait for a third party like Layer Zero, Wormhole to prioritize us Instead, we just do it ourselves. Um, 
that ties in IBC. We were able to fully IBC to move, which is pretty exciting. Um, and also like assets, right? So when we have DeFi apps that build on top of a chain, now you have AppDOS and Suite assets, which are move assets. We can also have native EVM assets. So native Ethereum protocol, BDCB in your protocol, um, Lido in your protocol, native Ethereum assets, which can actually drive adoption for these move protocols um, and make my life as a builder a lot easier. Um, but I'm sure Nick has more thoughts on like modularity. That sense. Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of like permissionless innovation. I think that's a big part of the modular thesis is this idea of like, just set, set the developers and the builders free, you know, and, and give them as many options as they uh, could want and then let them build, build whatever, essentially. And I think um, it's really, I'm glad to hear that that's like one of the things that it, it, that it does end up mattering to, to builders like, like Rushi. And um, I, I think uh, just on the, on the throughput uh, conversation earlier, uh, I, I totally agree. I think transaction per second is, is like a, a bad metric for all the reasons that uh, Avery mentioned. And at least for, for us, and what I think will eventually become like kind of the standard, at least for the, the base layer, like data availability stack is just simply data availability throughput uh, as a metric. And that is universal because you don't have these things about like, oh, well, well, what kind of transactions are there? It's just like, how many bytes can you publish and make available on this L1? And I think that's something that um, it's it's great. It's another benefit of this modular paradigm is that it, it really clarifies. It's like, okay, we know what the objective of this protocol is. Or like, what are the, what are the, some of the things we need to maximize, right? And one of them is just data availability throughput. Now with the constraint of, it must be actually easy to verify and all those other things that I mentioned earlier. Um, but I think um, that, that, that to me is a very clear standard that I think will emerge is like, how much, what's the data throughput of your chain? Another builder yeah. thing, um, then if we can go, is why drew me to move is the concept of velocity of production. I think I was an EVM builder before that. Um, and for me to build a slurry DAP as like DEX or yield aggregate, it took me months. And I've spent another few months auditing the code and I pay a hundred grand to an auditor who out of the code, and then it still will probably get hacked, right? Um, so that was a whole headache for me. And when I stumbled across Move and the work that Avery's done, I was like, okay, so like 90% of the hacker attacks that I was spending like countless hours at 3 a.m. like are kind of taken care of for me. I don't have to pay this auditor 100 grand to like not do that great of a job and still get hacked. Um, so we focus on velocity production. If you're a random developer, think of Mark Zuckerberg in his college dorm, you should be able to ship mainnet code as quickly as possible not worrying about security, instead worrying about actual functionality. Build the best social file app. Don't worry about that 108th line of the code that you glossed over that can lost, like lose your protocol 3 million and lose all your credibility. Um, that's the biggest issue in development as a young and aspiring like being infrastructure and application developer. It is too difficult to build the killer app or make the killer app easier with me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I, don't get me wrong, I really love the fact that like Movement and, and Celeste are partnering together to make this happen. I know, Nick, you're putting your hedges, your bets on all these different, you know, ways of languages or whether it's a lot of VM or EVM. But, you know, I think hopefully the right stack will emerge over time and maybe maybe they'll be less focused on the ones that are not as interesting to your developers as that plays out. Yeah. I'm curious, like just looking ahead, like the synergies between the teams and also just how do you think about, you know, all this is fairly new. Um, how do you envision the next, I don't want to call it the next cycle, but just like the next two, three years, um, in terms of just 
developer interest activity type of applications um, with all this kind of new possibilities out there? Oh, quickly. I think the EVM burns. Um, I think every developer is sick of the EVM. Like there's literally a major hacker attack every year, every month. Um, it's the same reentry bug over and over and over again. It's like getting punched by the same kid over and over again, and you're not doing anything about it. Um, so hopefully in the next two or three years, um, we see more adoption in the blue chip DeFi protocols actually on move some other networks, just anything that has an EVM and I'm happy. I, I completely agree with that. I, mean, I think the technology space is going to evolve rapidly. Uh, like I said, we were doing 20,000 transactions in a verified environment uh, that we run in, in March. That number is going to increase significantly in the coming weeks as we put those numbers out. And then next year, well, those numbers will increase even further. And so as we see the technology start to grow to really rival those of traditional databases or other systems that are used for money movement, uh, it's going to be a pretty massive technology advantage to move more into the blockchain space. And I, you know, our, we're taking a very opinionated approach that move is, our version of move uh, is going to be the right, the Aptos version of move is going to be the one that drives this innovation forward with new compiler coming out, with new DM technology coming out, with folks like Rushi and others helping us to derive this from a developer standpoint going forward. Uh, as well as the system, you know, being designed, co-designed with it, like hardware software design is something really important we think about uh, full optimization across the state. And, you know, as Nick pointed out, these metrics around like whether it's going to be data movement or like, I like to think about resource usage. Uh, I worked on distributed scheduling for a long time across 100,000 machines. How do we measure the real like performance usage and benefit from these different infrastructures to become very, very clear and uh, massive, massive adoption in the, in the coming years because these big enterprises and other large applications will be very confident to put their, their use cases on top of blockchain because it's, it's truly scalable, it's truly reliable, it's easy to build on, uh, and the user pain points around how um, the user experience of onboarding is going to be much, much simpler when you have things like a Kali abstraction built directly into things like Aptos Move, uh, as well as I'm sure we'll admit what they're doing as well. Yeah, I agree that the EVM is not the be-all and end-all. I think a lot of people over-index on that. I think it just had the first mover advantage, but there's this, you know, part of the modular thesis, again, is experimentation and especially experimentation at the execution layer has been held back by the fact that to try out like a new execution environment, you had to launch a whole new L1. And now when we remove that barrier, we're going to uh, accelerate the velocity of innovation at the execution layer. And um, even and that even includes like new flavors of the EVM. Like we have teams like Manta Pacific, who have built an EVM that has like ZK opcodes inside of it. Um, and so I'm really excited for that, like just unleashing a whole new uh, wave of innovation at the execution layer itself. And I think in the future, what I see is um, just, you know, right now L2B has something like 30 rollups or L2s listed on it. I think mm -hmm. in 2024 into 2025, we're going to have thousands uh, maybe tens of thousands of, of, of roll-ups eventually. It's just going to be like smart contracts. It's going to be the same thing as we had kind of in the wave when Ethereum first shipped of all these people just like deploying new apps. Um, I think we're going to see something similar. And what I'm and, and it's going to also have this explosion of all these different combinations of different components, modular components that you can mix and match and uh, you know achieve different trade-offs. And so uh, I'm just ex excited for experimentation because wherever there's experimentation, there's innovation and there's going to be a net new applications and use cases that haven't existed before so the whole space can move forward mm -hmm. and um i'm just stoked to see what what comes out of it i can't predict what what will be the breakout use cases but i'm sure that we'll find some 
Yeah. I don't think anyone envisioned Uber when the smartphone came out. But um, I am, uh, as a general point of just curiosity for me is in this decoupling, unbundling between, you know, execution, settlement, and DA consensus, and kind of like this Rubik's Cube analogy, like, wh where are we in the state of like integration? When you do that, um, you know, you, you talk about IBC, like connecting all these different chains, but like, can one of you guys just simplistically comment on like how these, like when you do this unbundling, do, are you losing some sort of communication or performance by doing this unbundling um, or not? And I'm just curious. I think I'd be the first to say that like, it's going it, to, you know, integrated chains have an advantage in the sense of, you know, if you already define how all the pieces fit together and you, you've tested them, et cetera, like what Avery is saying, like, it, it it's going to work out of the box. And I think, you know, one of the near-term challenges for the modular space is going to be defining those interfaces in a way that makes it actually like more pluggable and then also making it easy to test all these things. So I, I will be the first to say that I think uh, there will be challenges uh, to it. But like, there's a lot, the, the good thing on the flip side is that there's all these different teams that are incentivized to make this work. And so there's a, just a huge amount of, uh, really talented people tackling these problems, and you have you have teams like roll up as a service projects who are sort of like system integrators who are like, okay, here are all the components, and we're going to plug them all together into this stack and like sort of sell that as like an end end product to people who want to deploy a chain. And so like you have you have people across the modular ecosystem that are like actively really working on this. I think we're going to still struggle for a while to have better bridging. Um, I think that's just not solved, like not as that problem exists like everywhere, not just in the modular space, but any cross chain thing is still not quite as smooth as I think it could be. And that does diminish the value proposition of everyone launching their own chain, because then you, you are when until bridging becomes more seamless, seamless, yeah, it will be a little bit more fragmented and composable, but I operate under the, uh, assumption that, or the belief that in the long-term future, cross-chain composability will be really seamless. Um, and, and so like eventually we'll get there, but for the, for the near term, I could see an advantage to sort of like a shared execution layers um, like Solana or Aptos or, or even like, you know, Arbitrum, for example, as a roll-up example, where um, you know, it makes sense for people to build there because like you do get this seamless composability that, that might still be a challenge for, for like cross L2 stuff. I think it's largely use case dependent. Um, at the current state, like if you're trying to build a Venmo for crypto, is I would argue it's better than Solana, Aptos, Sweet. This makes the most sense. It's easiest to do out of the box. Um, I think if you're trying to unlock different use cases that weren't possible with monolithic chains, like a touchdown, like innovative DeFi apps that can use assets from different chains, like IBC enablement, um, stuff like that. That's where modular chains have an edge because you can kind of customize it. You don't need to wait for a third party to add dependencies, add features. You can kind of innovate by yourself. If you're just looking to use blockchain in the background, um, build a payments app, build a gaming app, and get to market as quickly as possible, in the current state, I would say that monolithic chains will win. So I think it's monolithic and modular in the current environment, not or. Would you, Avery, Nick, would you? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think they're just a different exploration spaces. And I, I, like I said, I respect the fact that people are exploring different ideas. And I, I think you can probably innovate faster in a monolithic chain as uh, sorry, a modular chain as Rishi suggested. You know, our goal is always to support the 99% use cases uh, in Aptos. And you know, there might be 1% we don't hit, but we haven't seen it yet. So uh, we would love to we'd love to wait until kind of 
What I've learned as a developer for a long time, though, is it's really, really hard to build APIs before, the, before you know the use cases. And you almost always get it wrong. And that's the problem. And that Nick alluded to this earlier, right? It's tough because you don't know what you want until you have a use case that you're driving it. And then you know like exactly what you need in those APIs uh, to, to push forward on. Um, so, you know, we're always open to adding APIs at the right layers and allowing people to plug in and play different things. Um, but it, we kind of wait for those use cases to emerge first rather than being a little bit more proactive about it. That way allows us to focus on our core stack, support those, you know, pretty much most of the use, if not all the use cases out there we've seen, and and then builds in a simpler and easier to test and more performant from the get-go. Yeah. If you were to predict, like, what is the killer use case that's going to emerge? Like, obviously, in the last cycle, a lot of it was just innovations in DeFi and DeFi summer and yield farming, which was fun until it wasn't. Um, what do you think is the next catalyst and like the first type of application that just gets mass adoption? And this is our one. You want to go ahead, Nick? You can go first. I, you know, I don't, I don't have, I, I feel like, it, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it's very hard to predict because, and if you could, maybe you, you would go out and like build that. Right. Um, like, uh, so I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I think that uh, so some things that I, I think are kind of exciting are things like uh, on-chain gaming. I feel like gaming is something that um, naturally has this like virality and mass market appeal. And if you bake in the right kind of like economics or incentives, it could really like take off. And I think also things like like social fi applications similarly have this baked in kind of like mass market. And, and like if you have the, if you crack the incentive code could like, spread virally um so i think about those things i think uh stable coins are something that already have like really strong pro product market fit and so there could be something around payments or just leveraging like stable coins that that could also really really take off and those are just some some ideas off the top of my head but i think universally i'll just say that I, all those will in order to reach mass, mass adoption or like these breakout use cases you need to have the underlying infrastructure ready to absorb all that demand and so that's why it's so important that like teams like aptos or, or like celestia etc are like trying to build this like underlying capacity to to like so when you, if we, we do hit that hyper growth as an industry we don't just scale fail and like yeah go we're, back we're not in dialogue we're broadband we need to get yes. broadband yes that's right. Um, I think those are all great use cases uh, that Nick Nick laid out. The one I think that is hopefully coming a little bit sooner than later, and maybe it's more of a hope than a reality, is really about how blockchain can, uh, can provide much more accountability and responsibility to AI innovation going forward. And so we've been working very closely with Microsoft on a couple of different initiatives in this space uh, to understand, like, you know, how does how does identity play into the picture? How do we um, get responsible AI? Where you know, if if you're using if, if, if people are using your data for training, uh, you're either like giving your explicit permission for it, you're getting compensated for it, or, uh, you know, other, other, you know, ask, or you're just not letting, giving that permission at all. Right? And so those kind of things um, are very interesting. Also, like verification of content uh, of AI, right? So if someone posts a video of, of, of Rushi dancing on a tree, like Rushi can say, like, you know, this is, this was really me, or this was like someone faking that content. This is not me. Uh, private keys are personal humanity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Proof of humanity is a really important thing that blockchain can do as a you know auditability with private keys and, and user signing to 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 show that kind of you know attestation of of whatever content's being put out there in market. So that's an area that we we're we're pushing very hard with a couple of partners on, and we we really want to see that change happen in the world sooner rather than later. 
Rishi, what's going to be the killer app in MoveVM? I think payments outside of infrastructure is just like where the obvious use case is. Sending money from like Thailand to like Ethiopia in under like a second without using like Western Union, without having to pay PayPal like 30% um, and having like centralized authorities. Um, we're still waiting for the Venmo crypto to come out, but I think that that's what gets me personally excited. Whether it's an app to us, whether it's a roll up, it doesn't really matter. Um, getting the average user to use USCC in a backend, not mention blockchain ones, um, is what kind of keeps me going. How it's accomplished, I don't know. I don't know what chain it's on. Um, don't know what wallet's on. Uh, but the team that does that and gets people actually using blockchain for payments and USDC everywhere in the backend um, wins. That's fair. Uh, maybe as a parting question, um, I'd like to get um, two components. But the first question really is, Whenever there's an unbundling, decoupling, there over time there there tends to go back to bundling. Like you see these unbundling and bundling waves and technology cycles. Um, as you think about, we're I think now entering a phase of mass experimentation, right? Because you all of a sudden can decouple them, and we're going to try all the different flavors, SVM, MoveVM, and all the different components. Do you see a time? where we ossify into one standard of the stack that is the most optimal um or do we or do we never get there like will we define like one two or three very nicely like stacks um or it will just be like there's going to be so many different verticals and use cases that we never kind of like define a standard in this modular uh movement and you just continue to iterate and innovate that's a good question. I, the way that I see it is, uh, not so much in like the rebundling, the way I frame it, but like consolidation, definitely. I think like you know you have that this exploration divergence, and then like there's like kind of clear winners that kind of like emerge, and and they become like sort of network effects around certain execution environments and and what have you. So I do expect that to happen, and there might be sort of like a power law distribution of like here's like the most common execution environment that everyone uses. And then it kind of goes down and there's like a long tail, but I think there will always be a long tail. And we should enable that long tail for sure. And um, one way, like I, I often use a uh, sort of like analogy, the way that I think about modular blockchains is very similar to like cloud infrastructure and in that like a rollup is, is like a, like sort of like a virtual machine that you deploy on like a data center, but instead of a data center, it's a data network like Celestia. and um, the cool thing is if you think about like how that like the, the virtual machine world has evolved, like you have all these like Linux is, is like, you know, obviously the most common, you know, operating system, but there's all these different distributions that are like, you know, have different like trade-offs, et cetera. And, and so there's like this really long tail of different Linux distributions that like people use. And so I think that you could see a similar thing kind of emerging with, with execution layers in, in, um, in, in modular blockchains where they, they follow one kind of common standard, but then there's like customizations uh, and different sort of like they branch out into like this family of, of different things. And the best analogy is like there's some in websites, right? But there's one Google, there's one Amazon. It's the website that have the best underlying infrastructure, the best partnerships, the best distribution that win. Similarly with like blockchains, whether it's a layer one, layer two, layer three, layer 500. Um, it's going to be the blockchain that can get the most partnerships, get the most users, um, and then whatever underlying infrastructure that allows them to accomplish that job the best wins. So whether it's Ethereum, whether it's 
any other settlement layer, whether it's DA layers, execution layers, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a billion blockchains, sure, but there's gonna be three ones that actually get users. Yeah, I think we use the same analogy here at Aptos. Like thinking about blockchains is very similar to cloud. There's several major cloud providers. It drops off after number four or five pretty pretty rapidly, and that's the expectation we have. And you know, we're, we think that we're building out the right execution environment, the right consensus protocol, the right fully integrated stack that is going to support a huge chunk, if not all, the use cases out there. But again, very respectful of others that are trying different approaches in the space. And ultimately, though, I think we all agree that we'll there will see consolidation to a small number of technology stacks in the future that ultimately serve the most user use cases, as Rishi mentioned. Absolutely. Well, I'm all for experimentation and I think maximalism doesn't serve you well. And I think we're in this incredible renaissance of let's try all the different variations and see what sticks. And ultimately, let's, we're so early. We have like, we're all, you know, it's a, it's a speck of dust and we, we haven't even reached any sort of mainstream adoption. So uh, I think this is a uniquely, uh, in that like is a requirement to get there so great work from, from all you guys really exciting i guess any parting thoughts um things that you're excited about your building challenges or you know stuff that you want to call out before i wrap it up i like what you said that we're, we're so early i i agree i think we're we're so early on so many different dimensions um and and one being just the actual infrastructure like we uh you know when i first got into crypto in 2017 i thought wow, I'm, I'm so late. Like, every, it feels like everything is already done. And like, you know, here we are like six years later. And I actually now feel like we're earlier. We're still extremely early. And there's so much more innovation and experimentation to be done. And we're also early from an adoption standpoint. Like very few people actually use blockchains today. There's very little value that, that is that are like sort of transacted on blockchains today compared to like, you know, the actual like scale of the, the global economy. And so I think, uh, we, yeah, we're just a speck of dust. So I'm excited for hopefully in the next six to 10 years, like we'll actually get there. Yeah, I think for me, it's like on Twitter, I see like Ethereum already won or EVM already won. Um, and the question I ask is like, what did you win? Like you got the 10 users, you got like like four people knowing about you. Like, is that what your definition of win is? So I think people are finally recognizing like network effects, especially in crypto, are very small. And all it takes is like one kickstart team one killer use case, one app that gets more than 10 users um, to really take away the network effects. Um, and then EVM and Ethereum is not winning anymore. Oh, I completely agree with those points. I love the fact that we're early. I love the fact that also the adoption is is not that there yet. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I wanted that to change obviously over time, but I think the one thing I, I want us to leave us with is that the infrastructure is going to get ready really fast. It's not going to take a long time. It's actually pretty much here that people can build reliably, people have the UX experiences, you know, if, if it's not here yet exactly, it's coming really, really soon. And you know, our, our team is hyper-focused on providing at least one clear path of making sure that there's a great, fully integrated stack, a great user experience, uh, you know, low fees and something that hopefully folks like Celestia and Movement, you know, leverage in other networks, we love that. And we're gonna push that future as quickly as we can. That's great. Well, guys, amazing work. We'll obviously link to your total handles and projects. Um, so really exciting. Uh, I, I guess we, we ought to probably do a checkup in six months because to your point, Avery, like if you weren't paying attention and you left the bear market, you now back, like you'll be shocked at the state of infrastructure and how that is so quickly uh, evolving. So great work, guys. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Santa. Thanks, nice folks. chatting with you, Avery Bye. and Rishi. Thanks, guys. Bye.
Everyone, thank you so much for watching today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming Digital Assets Summit in London, March 18th to 20th. Santi and I got your back. Seats are limited and we hooked you up with a 20% off discount code. It is Empire20. If you heard it earlier in the podcast, there's a little competition running at BlockWorks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So when you register for the Digital Assets Summit, make sure you use our code Empire20. See you in London.